This is Isaac Morehouse. Welcome to the podcast where we discuss education, entrepreneurship, big ideas, how to put them into practice in the real world, and above all, how to live free. I would be remiss if I did not remind any of our young listeners or the parents who have children who are younger, and by younger, I mean a few years younger than me, 14 to 26 age range, to check out a summer seminar put on by the Foundation for Economic Education, one of the sponsors of this podcast. FEE.org, the Foundation for Economic Education, is amazing. You will meet with some amazing young people, hear from amazing professors, thinkers, experts, entrepreneurs in engaging talks about the ideas of freedom. You can see one of the talks that I gave at FEE if you want to go to my website and simply search isaacmorehouse.com and search for how to change the world. Or you can go to YouTube and search for people over politics. That's the title of a talk I gave at FEE. It was recorded. It'll give you a flavor. It's about 30 minutes long of what the experience is like, what some of the talks are like. Now, there are certainly lecturers, speakers, uh, activity leaders who are better than I am there, but that will give you a flavor. I love participating in these events. The energy is amazing and the amount of learning that happens, the light bulb moments, the excitement is palpable. It's unbeatable. FEE.org slash seminars, fill out an application, tell them you heard about it on the Isaac Morehouse podcast. How can you go straight from high school to working in the marketing department at a growing Bitcoin startup? Praxis. That's how. One of today's sponsors is Praxis, and James Walpole, a Praxis alum, did exactly that. He applied to the program right out of high school, decided to defer college for a year. Uh, He had been accepted at a few schools. Jump into Praxis with both feet. He was placed at a company doing Bitcoin uh, startup, a Bitcoin company based in Atlanta, doing uh, all kinds of interesting work, helping small businesses adopt the technology. He loved it. He engaged with his work and the Praxis curriculum and educational experience. He ended up launching a podcast. He started blogging regularly. He started doing digital marketing consulting on the side. In addition to his job, he ended up getting hired on full-time after the program, as so many of our graduates do. Now he's working there while most of his peers have just finished one year of more classrooms under more fluorescent lights and (laughs) cinder blocks, filling out more assignments and struggling to make it to class on time, a repeat of high school. He's been out there in the world. He already has the job that he had hoped college would help him get. Zero debt, no wasted time. He's creating the life he wants. You can too. Check it out, discoverpraxis.com. I'm not going to promise you it's easy. I'm not going to promise you you'll get in. It's a tough program. It's competitive. And once you're in, you got to be all in. It's on you to get out of it what you want. But if you show the effort and commitment, I guarantee you the Praxis advisors and coaches will help you create the life that you want. Discoverpraxis.com. 
Now back to the show. Welcome to today's episode of the podcast. I am joined by Tam Fam, which is an amazing name if I do say so, Tam. <laughs> it rhymes, thank you. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I love things that rhyme. I love alliteration. Uh, I like cheesy wordplay. So um, Tam, I want you to actually give us your bio. Like, what is your story? What, why are you on this show? Where do you come from? How did we connect? <laughs> Oh, most definitely. So we connected actually when I saw your Kickstarter project, which was super cool. I was like browsing different projects on Kickstarter and I saw your your book. So I, I backed it and I reached out to you and interviewed you on my own podcast. And now it's like the vice versa. So very glad to be here. Um, a little bit about my story. I, I, you know, I did the standard like everything standard um, according to like every single form of society. So you get good grades. You go to a good college, you get good, you know, you get internships, you get experience. I did the whole, you know, one, two, three step of, of trying to become successful and whatever you call it. But I wasn't happy. I, I was very like, you know, is this what I really want to do? Like, I remember being in my cubicle when I was doing my first internship and I was like, wow, I'm like finally here. Like all my friends are jealous of me, but this is not what I actually want to do. <laughs> it, it's, it's insane. And I didn't actually realize this thought until I actually experienced it. Um, because I hear the stories all the time, but I'm like, oh, okay, you know, you just got to suck it up. But I was really unhappy. So after I left that internship, I started to um, just try to figure out, like, what did I actually want to do with my life? And through that, I, I found out of a bunch of different books. And one book that stuck out to me was Jeff Gordon's book, um, The Art of Work. Mm -hmm. And what he says, actually, this was before his book. It was in one of his blog posts. But he, what he says is that clarity comes with action. So in order to find clarity in my own life, I had to take action and not just like brainstorm of careers that potentially might be good for me, but I actually have to try new internships, try new jobs, try new experiences to actually find out what I actually want to do. So um, to make a long story short, I went through many different jobs and internships and I found entrepreneurship was my calling. And I'm very, I've done a couple of different things that you mentioned and I can, I would love to dive yeah, in more, yeah. but that's no, kind of like no, the, I, the origin story. Well, I love the... Um the way you described, you know, getting to the point that everything was geared toward that you were supposed to get to, you're at the good internship, right? This is, this is what all this stuff is leading up to. And you realize this isn't that great. And at that moment, a lot of people realize that they might realize, you know, they, they get into the AP class and it's not all that much better. They get into college and they don't love it all that much more than high school. They get the first job. But when you have those moments, because you're on, I call it the conveyor belt mentality, right? You're moving on this conveyor belt and it's just sort of moving you to the next station. And if you mm -hmm. behave well, you move to the next station. And when you have the realization, this next station isn't what I thought it would be. I'm not feeling fulfilled, even though everyone's proud of me. There's two different ways you can, you can approach it. One is, well, I guess I need to keep going on the conveyor belt to the next station. Now I go to grad school. Now I get a better, maybe I get a promotion. Now I got to, you know, maybe I'll get married. I guess I'll have kids because I'm not happy, right? It's like the worst reason to move to, to go further on that conveyor belt. But that's, that's kind of all you see as the option. But the, the ability to say, wait a minute, I'm going to get off the conveyor belt. I'm going to get off the track altogether. I'm going to just stop doing what is unhappy 
and then look around and try to figure out what direction do I want to head? Once you get off and you realize it's not just one direction you can move in one narrow corral, <laughs> like you can go anywhere. And that that's a big moment. Was that scary for you to make that decision that you wanted to just stop and reassess and start doing things differently? Oh my God. It was terrifying, especially because I come from an Asian family and you know, my sisters have a master's degree and my parents came here, immigrant story, you know, they did so much for me. And now that I don't want to do what I'm supposed <laughs> to do technically is kind of like a slap in the face to them. But I, I read this quote by Ben Horwitz and he basically just said how it doesn't matter how hard you row your boat. If the boat's not steered in the right direction, it's all worthless. Mm. So with that in mind, I was just like, what, like, where do I want to steer my boat? And, you know, so just to give more backstory, like after I left the internship and wanted to do entrepreneurship, I eventually dropped out of college as well because I felt like higher education was not satisfying my own passions, my own desires, my own learning goals. Um, and that was a big scary step for me too because my Asian, you know, like most, for those who are not familiar with Asian, like culture is very like uh, tight, very strict, very like, you have to do X, Y, and Z, become a doctor and <laughs> do your thing. So it was very terrifying. And I'm sure you deal with students all the time in this very similar situations. Oh, man. Uh, absolutely. I mean, there's that, you know, it's all about who owns the definition of success because everyone wants to be successful. But if that definition is completely captive, held captive by, you know, one institution or, um, you know, somebody's parents or, you know, social norms, then whatever that definition is, everyone would feel pressure to either get there or to rebel against it and say, I'm going to be a slacker who doesn't accomplish anything. Because if you, mm -hmm. if you conflate success with this one sort of path, then those are your only options. You're either, and you see this like kids in high school who were like the flunkies, you know, once they get out into the marketplace, they often realize that it looks nothing like the education system <laughs> and maybe they make a lot of money selling real estate or whatever it might be. But that's yeah. a, that's a huge challenge to, to, to run up against. I love but, the, um, the Horowitz quote, the, the boat. I think that's a good mm -hmm. analogy because it captures something about the unique spot you're at when you're young. If you're, if you're rowing a boat and it's steered in a slightly wrong direction, only a few degrees, when you're young, yeah. you won't notice that you're off by very much. It's just a small deviation. But if you're rowing for miles and miles, <laughs> by the time you get there, you know what I mean? You're so far <laughs> from where you want to be. So I think it's such an important point not to make young people feel stressed, but to get the direction right before you put in all this effort, because it will only be harder to change paths. You'll keep getting further and further away. But but Isaac, like when you mentor like, you know, young people or anyone in general, like do you help like do you first like help them identify like what their definition of success is and then work from there or so how, you know, how do you approach it yeah that's a great question so usually um asking that question i think is, is valuable and important to sort of continue asking but i think it's often too daunting and so we kind of go <laughs> the opposite route and say what do you not like what's not Ooh. making you happy and often that question there's almost a sigh of relief when people are like, for the first time, they can like verbalize and say, you know what? I got to be honest. Like I get good grades, whatever. I hate my history class or I'm not happy when I'm writing papers or whatever it might be. And they start to realize, wow, these things are not making me happy. And, and, and my take is if it's killing you, if it's making you feel dead inside, that's a good indication that that's not something you want to keep doing more of. And, and so stop doing that, right? Jump off the conveyor belt first if it's, if it's not making you happy. Now you just start to wander a little bit, and that's okay to do a little exploring and wandering. And as you bump into more things, you'll start to discover what you, what you do enjoy. Was that the case for you? 
Well, it's, it's really funny because in high school, I actually hated reading books. I hated writing. <laughs> and ironically, I'm an author and I write a blog and <laughs> do a bunch of that stuff. So if you told me, if you asked me like what I hated to do in high school, I would told you I would hate all those different things. But it, I, I revisited them. Uh, the reason I hated those is because I, was, I wasn't reading the books that were interesting to me. I wasn't writing the stuff that I wanted to write. I was writing like... Um, you know, papers that about just research or whatever that did had no interest to me. So I, I guess to challenge that point a little bit, maybe we might hate something um, at an earlier age, but we might revisit it and find a different like perspective on it from a, a different angle. If you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, you know, maybe it's more about the the why. Are you doing it because there's something in you that says there's value in this that that I want to derive, or are you doing it just because? you were told to and you're afraid of other people's good opinion or, or whatever it might be. Maybe it's, maybe it's the intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation. Um, there's a lot to unpack there, but, but so I want to talk a little bit about more about what you've done and then we'll get into sort of revisit some of this stuff with the the struggles and the motivation. So you have an amazing website outside of the classroom.com and you have, how many books have you written? I've written, I've written one, and I have one to ready to be self-published. But okay, most I knew you had another one. Okay, I knew you had another one in the works, and and the one, um, which is how to network, uh, is a best-selling book. Isn't that correct? Yeah, luckily. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So so you have uh, outside the classroom, you have the podcast along with it. Um, the website's got a lot of cool resources. You have the book that you that you authored. When did all this stuff happen? So you. You quit that internship. You dropped out of college at some point. How did that become launching outside of the classroom, writing the book, how to network, and sort of becoming a voice for self-directed learning and living? Yeah. Well, it's very funny because right after my sophomore year, I was a year and a half in, and midway through my sophomore year, I dropped out of college to do a startup full-time. Uh, totally different story. But after like nine months of doing that startup, um, it ultimately failed for a variety of different reasons. Uh, and after that, I was like, what's my next project? What am I going to do next? And during those nine months, many people came up to me or, or many people like confessed to me about how much like how much they wanted to do what I was doing, mm. like drop out of college and not, not like start a business necessarily, but more like have the freedom and like to say no to the things that you actually don't want to do. And, like, and this was after the startup failed. This was actually doing the startup like, okay. while it was going. Yep. Um, more people were interested in my journey more than in my startup, yep. which is really funny. And I was like, hmm, this could be a potential like uh, opportunity. So what I did was I just launched a very simple like blog about my learnings of outside of the classroom. Like, what can you actually learn um, about like finding mentorship, uh, finding your dream internship, uh, building a network, etc. So all of my work is around the idea of just like learning outside of the classroom and people really resonate with that message. And from there it started with the blog and then it started with a podcast and I was like, "Hmm, let's take it more seriously and write a book. So I wrote a book about networking, which is something that school does not teach you. Um, and many people resonate with that as well. And I'm just going to continue on this, this boat It's steering the right direction. (laughs) That's right. That's right. So tell me about the, um, cause I think there are a lot of people who maybe at some point, if they haven't yet, maybe they will, um, or they already have, they, they think, you know, maybe I've got a book in me. I kind of want to write a book. I'm not sure. Tell me about the process. I mean, the first hurdle, obviously, 
feeling like you have permission to write a book saying, Hey, I don't need to be an expert. It's okay. I can write a book. Uh, no one, I don't need to wait for anyone to say, you ha- you know, okay, here you go. You're, you're an official author, but then the actual nuts and bolts itself, what was your process of writing it? Like, did you, did you write a certain number of words every day? Did you self publish? How did you promote it? All that stuff. Can you walk us through? Oh yeah. This, this I, I can have like a two hour, like a two, two day conversation about this. <laughs> um, but just weren't like, just to summarize, like the first roadblock most people have is like, I'm not qualified to write a book. And it's kind of like, it's kind of like a, you know, talk in your head. Like, for example, I pay my friend to change my oil like every couple months or so. And he's not really an expert in like changing oil, but he's like 10 steps ahead of me who doesn't know how to change oil and he can do the job. And so if you, like, for example, if I trusted him, like, hey, um, can you teach me how to change oil? He would definitely know how to teach me, even though he's not an expert at like automobiles or whatever. So you don't need to be an expert to share knowledge. That's the first part. And to break it down, like most people think um, another a common obstacle is that a book is too long. Like I can't write, um, you know, a long, like a really long book about whatever topic they want to write about. But really, my book was only twelve thousand words. And if you write um, five hundred words a day, which is about uh, three thousand words a week, you can get there really quickly. Um, and not counting the editing, of course, but it, the, you take this bigger problem and you just break it down to smaller and smaller um, achievements or milestones. And once you can reach those simple milestones, then writing a book is actually not a challenging or a daunting fear at all. So did you publish it through Amazon? Um, I actually published um, through CreateSpace, which okay. is owned by Amazon. And they um, did, they do everything for you. All you have to do is just submit the um, file and they ship the books out. They um, print everything and they handle like literally everything. I just collect the royalties. It's, it's truly, it's truly amazing. Um, what, what has happened in the world of publishing because of things like create space and, and e-readers and all this stuff. I mean, it's almost, you know, it's kind of, it's right under our nose and it's everywhere. So we sort of don't sit back to appreciate the full implications and the impact, but, um, it's, it's really, really powerful. So you wrote the book, you got it out there. Um, was this, where did this fall in the timeline? So you left school, you started the, you, you worked to the, the startup and that failed. And was the book during that time or after? Yeah, the book was actually after. Okay. It was actually after I even started the podcast. So it went from dropped out of school, failed startup, started a, a simple blog and that, t- that turned into something a little bit bigger and then started a podcast and then I actually wrote the book okay. and I published it, um, self-published it like just a few months ago in September. So it's um, relatively new. Okay. Wow. So it's, yeah, done, it's done really, it's done really well in just a few months. Congratulations. Oh yeah. And I'm curious, did you self-publish yours or did you publish yours yourself or? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, so, uh, the, why haven't you read this book is also through create space. Ah, uh, so sick. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And we had, you know, we had, uh, some, you know, people do a professional editing and format and layout and design work and things like that to, to really, cause I had done a few other books uh, myself the same way. And I just like, you know, had a couple friends or interns or whatever, do the, the editing and publishing, you know, the <laughs> formatting and it's, and it turned out fine, but not, you know, you can tell it's just not, there's some weird things where like there's a paragraph space that's off or something like that. And, uh, I really wanted to, to get this up to a, to a professional level. Um, tell me about the startup failure. What was that like? So, I mean, you have all this pressure, you leave school to go to a startup and, and I call this, it's, I don't know if you've faced this, but a, a lot of people who drop out or opt out of college, they face the, the Steve Jobs fallacy. All their, all their relatives think if you're in college, <laughs> all you need to do is just like have a decent average job. And they'll be like, yeah, good stuff. They'll never say, 
You know, if you're depressed, they'll never say, I told you you shouldn't have gone to college. If you drop out of college and you're anything less than Steve Jobs, people are like, what is wrong with you? I told you you should have stayed in college, right? So after going to the startup and having it fail, did you feel pressure? Was that depressing for you or what was that like? Oh, it's it's been like a roller coaster. Um, my parents are always just like, you know, I want to drop out of college, but you're not Mark Zuckerberg, you're not Steve Jobs, you're not Bill Gates. Like, you can't point to these guys and say you're them. And I say, I'm no, I'm not. But there's many other entrepreneurs who might not be of that um, caliber, but still have successful businesses. Yep. And I told them that I will succeed. I will succeed. But it was just like rowing the boat harder and harder. But I wasn't. It wasn't steering in the right direction because, you know, a variety of reasons and. Um, my co-founder and I, um, he's a technical co-founder, Joseph, um, we just came to a point where like, okay, do you want to keep pushing this for like a year, two years, three years, and it maybe it might work because we have very like unproven hypothesis and assumptions, or would you rather um, just quit this and just uh, work on different projects that you know solve the same problem? And we just made a very, we just sat down, made a very tough decision and said, hey, okay, let's move on. And call it quits here. Um, the sunk co- sunk cost fallacy. Just don't have. You don't need to put more and more um, resources, time, and energy into something that's not like uh, that's not gonna work. Mm. So very tough decision. Parents were not happy. Oh, obviously they're not happy. But I was the more unhappy one. I'm like, okay, I had now I have a failed startup, dropped out of college, and then um, my parents uh, weren't that happy. So. I'm like at rock bottom right now. I'm just like, oh, shoot, what do I do next? So the obvious next move was to start a new business. Yeah, of course, <laughs> of course. Well, let me ask you, so it's very popular and trendy, and, I, and I've done a little bit of you know blog posts, podcasts here and there, kind of dealing with this topic a little bit, but to talk about failure. Failure in the entrepreneurial world, it's great, it's awesome. Like maybe sometimes it gets like over, like overly hyped as if it's as if it's good in and of itself, which it's certainly <laughs> not in and of itself. But but there's definitely something to the fact that I think most young people, given the actual risks involved, have a disproportionate, like a, a way too extreme fear of failure. And without you know, if that fear prevents them from acting, uh, that's a problem. But failure, I want to know your thoughts, like. Was that good that you had that business failure? Was it just awful? What What are your thoughts on this concept of of failure or failing forward? Oh, I actually love the concept. I just don't like the phrasing of it. So what I've done recently is change the wording. So instead of like saying you're gonna launch a business, it sounds so official. It sounds so like you're glued to this idea and you can't like let go of it. Instead, just say I'm doing a new experiment or I'm doing a side project. So there's no pressure or burden saying like I'm gonna put everything and in, everything into this one business. It's just an experiment. You don't know if it's gonna work yet. Um, you might fail. You might not. That's totally cool. It's just an experiment. Um, and I think if we change that language to experiments instead of like actual businesses or an actual book, just say you're writing a, you know, changing the changing the wording of it helps change your mindset. You got a writing of, project. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I think that there's something definitely really powerful in that and taking that pressure off and acknowledging what it is like I'm experimenting with a, a personal blog. Um, then you kind of have a little bit more freedom and you don't feel quite so much stress. And if it ends up not working out, no one's like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. Everything in your life is a disaster. Mm-hmm. But there but there might be a counter argument to that. Um, I, I know uh, Zero to One by Peter Thiel, which I really, really like. He talks about this idea of, of definite optimism versus sort of indefinite optimism. And there's something kind of indefinite about, well, eh, it's just an experiment. Let's just, 
you know, we're just sort of experimenting with this, experimenting with that, that, that maybe makes it harder to really build that business like you need to. If you're, if you're sort of mentally a little bit distant, you're not wrapping your identity so tightly with it. Do you think there are pros and cons to that approach? I guess. Well, there are definitely pros and cons. Like take, for example, Ev Williams from Twitter. Like they had a, their, their first company was a podcasting company and their little experiment or their little side project actually was Twitter. And when they, they have you heard the story where they asked the investors to switch no. money? Oh, so um, the founders of Twitter or now Twitter, they asked the investors who were originally invested in the podcasting company to um, that they're going to totally switch gears and do this new little side project that seems to be working. Do you want to invest money or transfer the money you invested in the podcasting <laughs> company to Twitter? And they all said no. They all took the money back. And um, no one um, trusted them for this little side project. And this side project turned out to be this massive social network that is um, totally like influencing everyone, uh, the whole world. And those um, investors are terribly regretting that decision. <laughs> that, so, that's, that's an amazing story. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it's just like these stories of little like everything started with an experiment. Like I'm 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 not exactly sure, but I, I'm not sure if Mark Zuckerberg came in knowing that Facebook's gonna be like the biggest thing in the whole world. Yeah. I think yeah. he just started off with a do do you know the story by any chance? No, I don't, but I from I, I don't think it was you know, probably pretty early on that he had a pretty ambitious vision, maybe bigger than than most of us realized, but certainly Certainly not from my understanding at the initial, you know, at the initial launch. And I, I think maybe there's, maybe there's a point where you see what your experiment is doing and it's getting some traction and then you have to make the decision. Do I want to keep this an experiment or do I want to be all in? And, and that's the point exactly. maybe where you make it more official, but to, to get started, you know, it kind of reminds me of, um, some research on competition that I've read by Peter Gray and some others that when you're a beginner, being in a competitive environment is the worst thing for learning and exploring. So if you're playing soccer for the first time or uh, studying something for the first time, being in an environment where there are winners and losers and test grades and pass fail is horrible for the learning process. Once you have some level of mastery, competition is really good. They've done research with people playing pool and people who are novices. When you tell them we're watching you and we're grading your abilities, they're, they're playing drops significantly. <laughs> but when you watch people who are good at pool, and say, we're watching you, we're grading you, their performance actually increases. And so in that early phase, you need to have the freedom to not be bound to a certain outcome as mm. a failure or success. But once you have some kind of traction and mastery, that's when maybe it sharpens your focus. I don't know, spitballing here. Oh, no, no, I totally agree with that. And it seems like the more and more you dive into something, the more like, closely you feel like identified with that business or with that um, mm. book or with whatever project you're doing. So I, I think... There are definitely pros and cons, you know, labeling stuff as experiments or books or or, or actual like businesses. But um, I I definitely agree with what you said about competition. So you are you are a brand basically. Uh, I think you're a good example of someone who <laughs> recognizes and and I don't say that in any sort of uh, derogatory way or anything like that. I actually think everybody is whether they know it or not. Whether it's it's just a, another way for saying reputation. But with the digital world. It brings a lot of new opportunities to, to be better at utilizing that asset and not letting it become an, a liability. Are you conscious, like, do you have conscious sort of philosophy or approach to your own personal branding, to outsidetheclassroom.com, to your own personal, you know, Twitter profile or whatever, to to your digital presence? Are you trying to craft and, and sort of cultivate a brand in a certain way, or are you just sort of chasing whatever's interesting? Um, You know, the, the like my... 
if I, in a perfect world, the first answer would be the best. You know, me actually trying my best to portray a certain image on, on social media or, you know, whatever digital world. But really, I, I just, whatever interests me, I just do. And usually my actions and my, my thoughts and my writing come from what I'm doing. So I, I think, for example, like my friend Thomas Frank, he runs a site called College Info Geek. And for like five years, six years, he's writing about college stuff, college stuff, college stuff. But eventually, I'm not sure if he wants to, but he's moving like, I guess, niches and doing more about finance and doing more about his other podcasts about uh, money. Mm-hmm. And so you can do a certain thing for a certain amount of time. Like I can know you, Isaac, for example, um, about this one book, but maybe um, you might like, I guess, rebrand or do something else yeah. that makes me rethink about you and, and what you're doing. So and even like um, like Peter Thiel, like he's doing PayPal and now we see him as like a anti, not anti-education, but more like um, <laughs> advocating for different um, education like systems. Hmm. Um, so I, I guess it's a combination of of what you actually what, what you actually interested in and what you're actually doing because actions I, I think speak louder than words. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that's actually a great point that if you get too focused on trying to manage your image and your brand and there's not really any body of work, right? Like if you blog every day for a couple months, that's going to do more to define who you are than what font you choose on your website. <laughs> so uh, that's a great that's a great point about action. Um, or what you label yourself too. Yeah, absolutely. I think the I always think it's better to produce, do your work, and sit back and see what other people label you. Uh, you know, I I always kind of find it interesting when people. I don't know, on LinkedIn or whatever, they'll give themselves labels, uh, sort of grand labels sometimes before they've, they've done much. And it's, it's not necessarily bad. It can be aspirational, but I think it's better when your work can sort of define you. Um, Mm -hmm. okay. So your own sort of intellectual interests, you said you were not at all interested in reading everything. At what point was there like certain books or anything that kind of sparked that? And, and how do you, how do you manage your own intellectual journey? Oh, the first book that I really loved was How to Win Friends and Influence People yeah. by Dale Carnegie. Um, such a classic book. And I, I was actually like reading the book as a, a, a high school high school senior. And I was actually using the material and applying it to like my actual life. And that was when I was like, wow, this book, <laughs> like books can actually change your life, like literally change your life. So from that moment, I started reading more and more. Like first, it was like self-improvement books, and when I got more interested in business, I started reading some business books. But in general, whatever I found a book that interests me, that I could actually use it and apply it to my life, that was such a game changer. And I saw books in a whole new light. And same with same with writing too. I hated writing because I was doing research on stuff I didn't care about. But now I'm writing to help other people. And when you see it in that perspective, you start to use these different tools like reading and writing. Um, in a in a different way and makes you love it even more. What are you reading right now? What I'm oh I'm reading like five books at once. <laughs> I'm I'm actually reading The Four Hour Chef by Tim Ferriss. Uh-huh. Um, I'm also reading. Let me see my bookshelf. Oh, uh, this is a funny book. I'm reading How to Be Black. <laughs> really? It's a, Who's the it's author? A comedy. Uh, let me see. Um, I can't pronounce his name. I'm gonna butcher it. No, but a- B- Bora Tunde Thurston. Okay. And I was reading it last night and it's such a great book. It's a New York Times bestseller and it's okay. so funny. It's funny. I see I need more I need more humor. Like I you know, I'll, I'll look at the onion every once in a while, but that's a good thought. I might have to I might have to get some some humorous books in my uh oh, in my rotation. 
Um, I recommend that, and I recommend Modern Romance by Aziz Asnari. I saw that on your website. Yeah, as one of the one of the resources in there. Uh, <laughs> so, so Tam, you've got this network of a lot of people who are um, downloading your book, who are coming to your website, following the podcast. So, I'm assuming you're hearing from a lot of young people who are at a similar place that you are. They're thinking about dropping out or starting a company. What What would you say is the most common question that you get from young people in that position? Hmm, the most common question I get is like, should I drop out? And then I have to reemphasize because they, they see me doing it and they see people like, you know, other like college dropouts doing it and doing well. And they think that maybe they can do it too. But I have to remind them that, you know, dropping out is not for everyone. Self-directed learning is very like a lot of hard work, a lot of motivation, self-motivation. And I tell them that the common answer I give to most people is like, you know, there's so many different paths to success and however you define success. And it's up to you to decide um, what path that you want to go on and if college is in that equation. Mm. Um, so it's like working backwards. Like, for example, if you want to be a doctor, you can't be a doctor unless you have a degree. But if you want to be an entrepreneur, um, how has other entrepreneurs done it without college degrees if you don't want to be, do go to college? And is it possible? If yes, then there's different paths you can take to get there. Um, it's up to you to decide what's best for you and your learning styles, your goals, and uh, whatever you want to accomplish. So I want to get back to uh, your story because we got we, we kind of got up to the present day, but not quite. <laughs> so um, after your startup failure, uh, you said you, you launched another one. So kind of walk me from the point after that first startup failure to today in some of the things you've done, but also where do things stand with your parents? Are they still worried about you? Do they think you're going to be sleeping on a park bench at any day? Well, the good thing about my parents is that now that I have like some credibility with my book, because it became a best-selling book on Amazon, um, they, they can see, oh, well, it's actually selling, it's actually making money, and people are actually like, wanting it. <laughs> and although they will never fully understand like, for example, I even asked my mom, like, what if I, you know, cured cancer, made millions of dollars, and I'm saving, you know, lives everywhere, but I didn't graduate college. And she told me, I'll still be disappointed in you. And I was like, what? I'm doing all this other stuff. Um, and, you know, that college degree matters so much to them. Isn't that amazing? I actually heard um, somebody sent me this. It was maybe six months or a year ago. There was some presidential candidate, and I don't remember which one it was, and I'm not really, I don't really follow politics, but who didn't have a college degree. And someone asked them, if you were elected, you'd be the first, or not the first, but with the first president in some amount of time without a college degree. Um, would you consider like going back to school or something and taking <laughs> online courses from the White House to get that degree? And and the candidate said, yes, yes, I definitely would. I I would want to, I would still want to finish it. And I'm thinking to myself, now in my mind, President <laughs> of the United States is not the apex of human achievement by any means. Uh, I don't, I don't look at it that way, but most people do, right? So in the <laughs> minds of most people, if you said, what's, what's the, the highest level of achievement your child or somebody in this society could have, they'd be like president of the United States. And here's this guy saying, yeah, if I got there, I would still feel bad that I didn't have a college degree and I would go get one online. Like, like the, the degree is no longer seen as instrumental in getting you where you want to go. It is an end in itself to like signal that you're like normal or something. I thought that oh was pretty gosh. bizarre. But I interrupted one, one, your story, so. No, no. Like, one other bizarre thing was there was this one presidential candidate who wanted to promote coding. They, it was like codeday.org, and they wanted to promote a year of coding. And this presidential candidate, like, pledged to, to someone that he will start coding. 
and learn how to code and build a bunch of projects. But I'm just like, dude, you're the president, or, you know, you're a <laughs> senator, or you're whatever. You don't need to code. Like, leave that to people, other people. You're doing your own job. Like, because you know, something is good you. doesn't mean you need to do it, right? It's really good to learn to change oil, but you have determined that you don't need to learn to do that just because it's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, that's um, funny. Okay, so um, so your parents are still they're they're a little they still have a little bit of a tinge when they consider that you haven't gone to college, but they're they're happy with you. Uh, what yeah. did you do after the startup failure? So after startup failure, I started outside of the classroom, the podcast, the book. I have another book coming out, but actually, I went through the seven week program called Draper University, and okay. I guess the the biggest takeaway for me it was, it's a basically a seven week entrepreneurship program where they bring in like speakers who are highly successful, like re- actually really notable names um, that are highly successful to teach us about entrepreneurship and everything about uh, you know create uh, you know every, everything about that realm. But the biggest takeaway I got was more less about entrepreneurship, but more about like personal growth. Like I learned to be a little more tougher, um, more resilient. Uh, the mindset uh, that these like successful entrepreneurs had more more than the tactics and stuff. So that was my big takeaway. But um, another big learning for me was that there is no rush to start a startup. Um, I'm I'm still young. I have my whole life ahead of me, and there's no rush to to do a, you know business because you, a startup takes up your whole life. Like you really, it's it's a big commitment, big dedication, and there's no rush to do it. So. Just recently, um, I signed a job offer with this media company in SF, and I'm gonna be working for them, uh, doing like their own projects. Also doing my stuff on my, on the side. But this is a startup that I love, that I want to be a part of, and I just think that there's, if there's no rush to do a startup, why not learn from the best? Congratulations on the uh, on the new gig. Um, Thank you, man. Speaking of new stuff, so tell us about the new book. What's it all about? When can we look for it? Yeah, this is actually called How to Land Your Dream Internship. And I'm still playing around with the titles and subtitles, but it'll, it'll essentially take you step-by-step step on exactly what you need to do to land any internship that you want. Like, the frameworks are there, um, and it's up to you to, like, actually use it and apply it. Because I'm more – I like to read books that, you know, you actually, like, find immediate, like, value right after you uh, read it. Um, and I'm not sure when it's going to be published. I actually had it scheduled for next month. But now with this new job, I think I might delay a little bit just to, you know, just to show that I'm dedicated and like uh, committed to this this job first, and then uh, move on to more side projects in the future. So I'm not exactly sure, but if you're on my email list, then you're um, gonna get it a free copy and before anyone else does. So little plug there. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Go to outsideoftheclassroom.com. You can sign up there to get. Um, a copy of how to network. You'll get on the email list. You will hear about the new book when it comes out. You can check out the podcast outside of the classroom. Tam Fam is also on Twitter, T-A-M-P-H-A-M. Um, Tam, I'm excited for your book, Isaac. I am too. It's uh, very, very near. We are very close to having uh, having the first physical proof <laughs> in hand. So I'm I'm very excited about it. Um, and so of course, sweet. you will be getting a copy as one of our one of our backers. Okay, I'm going to ask you one final question. You ready? It's going to be a fun. I'm so one. ready. Okay. All right. <laughs> give me. It doesn't have to be the most because you might not be able to remember off the top of your head. But give me uh, a really awkward moment in your life. An awkward moment. Oh man, ah, shoot. awkward moment. That time that podcaster asked me for a question, uh, awkward moment, oh. and I couldn't think of one. <laughs> there, there was an awkward moment actually. Um, I was interviewing 
uh, I don't want to say the the guest name, but I was interviewing someone with a very like you know he was very high status and very successful in his own right, and after thirty minutes of a great conversation, my audio file didn't save. Oh no! So it was so awkward. I had to I had to tell him that I had I had to ask him like, hey, did you record <laughs> the podcast episode by any chance? And obviously he says no, and I'm just like shoot. I totally misplaced the the whole audio file, and it was the most awkward. Like it, it was all digital; it wasn't like through the phone or anything. But it was the most awkward thing that a podcaster can say, and I'm sure you can relate to that too. Yes. So, what did you end up doing? Were you able um, to get? Yeah, it he was very he was very friendly. He actually um, agreed to do it again. Wow. Because I, I thought like, maybe you could just not tell him, and then you could just do an episode where you impersonated his voice and answered all the <laughs> questions. <and> just <laughs> oh man, kind of like when, AI, you, like when you said that, I freaked out for a moment, and I pulled up my recording software just to double check <laughs> that this was recorded. Now, yeah, now I, I if it's other podcasters, it's always nice because usually they're recording it at the same time. So yeah. Um, what by the way, um, what is is the podcast going to continue? The podcast is going to slowly continue. It's going to maybe like once a month. Okay. Um, I might do some solo episodes just because I probably won't have time to like schedule yeah. guests. And yeah, that's the hard do my thing. coordination. Um, but I, I, I love the podcast. It's really fun for me. And a lot of people listen to it and they actually like really love it as well. So I don't want to let them down. I don't want to let myself down. Um, and I'm going to try it at my best to keep going. Tam fam, thank you so much for joining us. Go check out outsidetheclassroom.com. Hopefully we'll I, be talking with you soon. All right. Thanks so much, Isaac. This has been really fun. You bet.